If you've been with us any time at all, you know that we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. In particular, the Sermon on the Mount is where we are now. And if you'll open your copy of the Scripture to that place, the fifth chapter of Matthew, this morning, verse 38, is where we pick up in our sequential exposition of the first Gospel, Matthew. You're familiar with these words, but I'm going to read them in your hearing, set them afresh in your thinking before we begin the exposition of the text. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Father, we thank you for the record of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks to our hearts, challenges us as well. We pray that you renew our minds. We pray you sanctify us as this word is unfolded in our hearings. We ask that the Spirit of God will do his work in illuminating our minds so we may grasp these things and then do them, do them in a way that pleases you. So we commit our time to you at this moment to accomplish these things for your own glory in our lives. In the name of Christ, our Savior and Lord, amen. Uh, Obviously, I've entitled this An Eye for an Eye. An eye for an eye is one of the best-known Bible expressions in America. Wouldn't you agree? People in all walks of life have used it, and they use it repeatedly. In fact, uh, if you'll watch any uh, TV westerns, you'll hear that repeatedly stated as well. An eye for an eye. But the formulation's use has been misused by many. An eye for an eye is not a mandate as opposed by many people. It is not a mandate for personal revenge. We're not supposed, are surprised that this portion of God's word has been distorted and employed to justify revenge by many people. The reason we're not surprised is because that's the natural reflex of the fallen human heart. The sinful fallen human heart, the first response reflex is payback, tit for tat. An eye for an eye was also distorted in Jesus' day. So he addressed it in this sermon uh, for the sake of his disciples, by extension for us as well, and to explain uh, the reality of true righteousness. First, we understand that the expression is used three times in the Old Testament. And scholars label the formulation the law of retribution. It is also known by the Latin phrase lex talionis. Does the phrase give any justification or license for individuals to act as their own judge, jury, and executioner? Some people, as I suggested, think so. In fact, they twist this text, as I've indicated, to do that very thing. But the Bible does not permit that. Jesus, in our text, as we'll see clearly, does not permit that. In fact, there is a text in the Old Testament that explicitly forbids 
revenge. Leviticus 19, 18, for it says this, you shall not take vengeance nor any bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. End of quote. That's an explicit denial or prohibition for vengeance. Lex Talionis was never intended by the Lord to sanction vigilante justice. There's people unlawfully, lawlessly going to take justice into their own hands. Nowhere does the Bible permit that. What then do the verses which contain this expression, an eye for an eye, mean? There are three places I've already indicated where this is found, and I'm going to name them, and then I'm explain what was going on in those texts. Exodus 21, verses 23 through 25 is one of those places. It describes a penalty for accidentally causing personal injury. A fine was to be assessed by the judicial authorities. In Exodus 21, 22, there are judicial authorities. What the text guards, guides and guards against is the courts in their judgment, and the guides the courts in their judgment in the matter. There's a duly constituted legal authority was involved. To settle a dispute, uh, personal injury, it was not left up to individuals to decide the penalty and fulfill that desire as to what they want. No, there was duly constituted courts for that in Israel. There's another place. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 through 21, provides legal guidelines for the Jewish courts. The guidelines follow a description of the sin of blasphemy, which was committed by some individual. But it wasn't up to an individual to take care of the person who had committed blasphemy. It was, in fact, delegated to the congregation. It was to, they were to carry out the sentence. No personal revenge, no retaliation permitted from an individual. Third place where an eye for an eye is mentioned in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 19, verse 21. We expanded, in, in fact, verses 16 through 21. Lex Talionis applies to, now get this, a false witness who lies under oath during a trial, falsely accusing an innocent person. The law stated that the false witness was to suffer the same penalty that the wrongly accused person would have suffered if the false testimony had been believed and the innocent person condemned. And that would be a deterrent. If you lie and you discover to be a liar and someone's uh, punished you, you're like, oops, I won't be doing that for somebody else who hears about it. The evidence of these texts suggests that lex talionis, or the law of retribution, or retaliation, was intended to prevent the court from being unjustly lenient in one case. You must not show pity in the case in Deuteronomy. Or unduly harsh in the sentences. So there was a regulation of even how the courts were to dispense justice. God regulated how it was to be done because God was interested in justice. Now, so that the, the punishment would fit the crime, this meant that the court, for example, could not cut off the hand of a beggar for stealing a loaf of bread. 
that is way too harsh. The sentence, eye for an eye, really was communicating that the punishment was to fit the crime. It's not a carte blanche thing. You can just go do whatever you want when somebody offends you. These texts show that personal retaliation was prohibited and that there was a limitation on the punishment administered by the legal authority in Israel. The civil legal authority in Israel, they were to exact justice. Justice was to be exacted in a just manner on the guilty. And men need limitation, don't they? They need limitation. Legal authorities need limitation. Because people will punish way out of proportion to the crime that's been committed. Already indicated that that's the reality of the fallen human heart. We want more from them. We want to take more from them than they gave to us. People will exact a pound of flesh for an ounce of offense. Go and say amen if you can. It's true. R. Ken Hughes notes this natural proclivity of fallen man when he writes, quote, you slap me, I'll break your neck. You take my shirt, I'll chop off your hand. Your hand, end of quote. He's right. He's right. That's how people react. It is the evil of the human heart, the fallen heart that wants to render punishment far in excess of what has been done to them. Say, well, that's this man's opinion. That's that man's way of thinking. I I don't know. Uh, That could just be an exaggeration. Well, no, it is not an exaggeration. It is a truth. It's truth. Biblical history shows this to be true. Genesis chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, records in poetic form the boastful words of Lamech to his two wives, Ada and Zillah. This is what Lamech said to them. For I killed a man for wounding me, and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. You get those words. The man wounded him and he kills him. The boy struck him. Kills him. God said, I'll avenge Cain, Cain who killed his brother Abel. I will avenge him seven times. And Lamech in his boastful arrogance says, hmm, anybody messes with me, I'll avenge him 77 times. Excessive. Excessive. Personal vengeance or retaliation out of proportion to the offense committed. That's clear. Now you you, uh, need to know that everybody who heard Jesus that day in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's working his way through his sermon, when he gets to this point and when he quotes these words here in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Everybody who heard that that day assembled there at the bottom of that mountain, listening to Jesus proclaim the word of God, knew that that was a rabbinic tradition. And it had allowed men to act as their own judge, jury, and executioner with respect to personal vengeance. That's why it's there. 
that was in the bloodstream of the people of Israel at that time. You mess with me, and the rabbi said, I can exact judgment against you. Jesus is aware of that, and he speaks to that. He speaks authoritatively to it, and he demanded that his people not act that way. In fact, you see it here in verse 39. But I say to you, in contradistinction to what the rabbis taught, the rabbinical tradition that was in the bloodstream of the culture of Israel at that particular time that upheld the idea of personal vengeance or retaliation, tit for tat, Jesus said, no, but I say to you. Jesus' authoritative pronouncement says, no, 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 no. Rather than you doing that, this is what I say to you, uh, do not resist an evil person. That word resist means to set oneself against, to oppose. Now, I think I want to take a little uh, brief uh, detour here to explain what Jesus is not saying so we can get a grip on this. Because there have been people, if you don't know, who have taken this text and they've used it to uh, justify things that Jesus has not stated here and what he was not meaning. And so I want to just give you at least one of them. So when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, he is not talking about government. By any means. In fact, God ordained government. Government's designed to restrain evil. You're to punish evildoers. Romans 13 says this. Romans 13, 4. For it is a minister of God to you for good. That's what the scripture says. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, lays out the role of government in society. Thank God for government because we live in a fallen world, do we not? Amen. Romans 13.4 says this, it is an avenger who the government is, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Without government, there would be societal anarchy. People would do what is right in their own eyes, as the book of Judges says. They would. Can you imagine if there, there was nobody to enforce law, no threat of uh, legal ramification or physical ramification if people commit? People are awful even now with it, right? Can you imagine a society without government and its restraint? Chaos would reign. Now, we understand that um, no government is perfect, right? It's not. We, we, we understand that. We get that. We live in an imperfect world. We, we have government and some people in government, some people in law enforcement, in fact, are not the kind of people that ought to be there. you have to understand government is a blessing of common grace to mankind God in his grace has given government to corral the wickedness the evil that would be unleashed on society you wouldn't be able to live if it weren't for somebody wielding the sword as Romans 13 says 
So keep that in mind. Always keep that in mind. All of these issues, we live in a world that is fallen, is corrupt, led by corrupt men and all of that in that. So, but yet that does not mean that those things aren't a blessing when we need them. Others have tried to take this text and use it uh, to say, let's not have war. Pacifist. <laughs> they say, well, Jesus, don't, don't do that. Well, that's nutty, too. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you why. You, you need the military. Y'all following me? Because you've got people who like to go and try to take somebody else's country like one we know about right now you need somebody to say uh-uh you know you want the military because somebody came here and said we're going to take y'all over and take your life your freedoms and all that you said where is the military so y'all better get those osprey helicopters and those uh, other weapons and protect the nation you have to do that because we live in a sinful world jesus is not talking about that you see later on in this little message that he never condemned the Roman military. Just do that. So what is our Lord talking about here? You see, he is talking to us personally. That's what he's doing. He's saying for us personally, we're not to resist or stand opposed to an evil person. He says in verse 39, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, first of all, you need to understand who he's talking to. He's talking to beatitude people. He's talking to people who have been transformed by the grace of God. He's talking to people who are salt and light people. (laughs) We've been transformed. We have been born again. We're a different kind of people. So he's addressing us. Since we've been saved by the grace of God, we're able to do what Jesus says. We have a capacity now to obey him. We even have a mind that is wanting to obey him. And Jesus saying we're to be, when he says not to resist an evil person, what he is saying, you are not to seek retaliation. You're to be non-vengeful. You're not to say, uh, Tit for tat. I'm going to pay him back. No. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 15 says this. See that no one repays another with evil. For evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another. And for all people. You see, what happens for Christians is this. Uh, we are no longer involved in that worldly issue of paying back people the evil that they've done to us. What we do in the church and with other people outside the church even, we are the ones who are seeking the good of the person who's done us evil. That's radical, isn't it? That is utterly contrary to the way the world works. People don't think like that. People don't act like that, generally. Why? Because they are part of the world system that operates that way. But in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, our values are different, our behavior is different. We don't think like that or act that way any longer. 
are different. That's what Jesus said. Now, I know what you're saying. Slapping? Okay, Jesus is going to give us four illustrations of non-retaliatory behavior by kingdom citizens. People who are beatitude people. People who have been born again, brought into the kingdom. And in verse 39, the B portion. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, let me explain the kind of slap he's talking about here. Slap was particularly painful and it was insulting. It was with the back of the hand. Two people are facing one another. And to hit that person on the right cheek, most people are right-handed, by the way. And to hit that person on the right cheek, it had to be, boom, a backhanded slap. Now, you've just been slapped. You know what your first reflex is? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we got a way to go in this sanctification thing, don't we? Remember the movie uh, In the Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier? He's a detective and he's standing there in this man's greenhouse uh, there. He was going to, uh, he was investigating a murder. And the man slapped him. Slapped Poitier's character. Detective Tibbs, I guess, I think was his name. And immediately slapped him back. My understanding, that wasn't part of the script. (laughs) But I understand what was going on. uh -uh. Even though we're make-believe, you ain't doing that to me. (laughs) Then you all know about the more famous one. Right. Y'all should have been praying rather than watching Oscars, but that's another story. (laughs) Messing with you a little bit. So Chris Rock was slapped. But to his credit, he didn't slap him back. That's the natural reflex of human beings. To slap back. Even I hear this phrase, clap back. Somebody says something, perhaps it's offensive. People say, I'm clapping back at that. It's the way of the world. But our Lord doesn't permit us to do that. Look what he says here in verse 39. Turn the other to him also. Now, people have thought all kinds of things about this. And I've heard a multitude of explanations for this. And nine-tenths of them have been utterly wrong. Jesus was not commanding us to subject ourselves further to physical and emotional pain. What our Lord here is calling us to when he says, turn to him the other, also the turn the other cheek, as is popularly said, he's calling for non-retaliation. So turning the other cheek is symbolic of non-retaliation. He's not actually saying, go let them slap you on the other cheek. That's not what he's saying. It's a symbol for non-retaliation. He says, don't seek revenge. That's what he's talking about. The very things that people normally do in these interpersonal conflicts is to seek revenge. If it's not an immediate slap back, it's somehow I'm paying you back. Jesus said, don't do that. So that means we're not to intentionally allow someone to physically abuse us. Jesus is not saying that. Get that clear in your mind. What he is prohibiting, however, is 
are not prohibiting is defensive or evasive action to protect oneself from serious harm. He's not saying turn the other cheek, go ahead and let them slap. He's not saying you can't protect yourself. It's not what he's saying at all. Fact, Jesus is our example in this. In John chapter 18, verse 22, we see our Lord's response. John 18, verse 22, verse 23. I'll read these texts and give a quick explanation. Verse 22. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Je Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? You see that? Our Lord, when slapped, rather than suffering silently or inviting further abuse, he protested the injustice of the slap. He defended himself. So why are you doing that? Son, back me again. Pummel me again. Jesus is not saying stand there and let somebody pummel your nose. He's saying that at all. What's fascinating about this, there are a number of places in the scripture where Jesus avoided the potential for conflict that would make him a victim. In John chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. He knew that was going to be the case, and what did he do? He avoided the place. He avoided uh, a place where he would be the victim of violence. Now, get this. Evasive action and non-retaliatory acts of self-defense are not inconsistent with Jesus' teaching. You can avoid that and be consistent with Jesus and not retaliating. The great reformer John Calvin, who was no slouch when it came to interpreting scripture, great theologian, as you may know. He writes, quote, I grant that Christ holds back our hands from revenge just as much as our minds. But where a man may, without taking revenge, protect himself and his own from injuries. Christ's words do not stop him from peaceably and nonviolently deflecting the force as it runs on to him. End of quote. He's right. Christ doesn't say you can't protect yourself. In fact, it's okay to do that. It's right to do that. Remember years ago, maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm, I'm, I've already started it. I believe you can protect yourself. I used to, back in the day, I had a baseball bat. And I had it by the front door. Somebody wanted to come messing with us. They were going, oh, he's the home run king. <laughs> you think I'm going to let somebody harm my wife and myself? No. No. You can protect yourself. 
Jesus is not saying open yourself to physical abuse. He's saying don't retaliate. That's what he's talking about. And those two are not inconsistent. Now let me add another thing here. A victim of violent crime should press charges against the ones who assaulted them. Why, why would you do this? This is necessary for the public good in order to prevent others from being victimized. Tell them, tell, tell government this person is violent and they'll harm other people. You turn them over now. In the Old Testament, I quoted those three texts. There are civil courts in Israel, uh, just like there are courts today. So when there's crime committed, you can turn them over and let them adjudicate the issue. You're not personally paying them back out of spite and vengeance. So the insult that can come, that's how you deal with it. Don't retaliate. Verse 40, litigation. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Rather than retaliation, which our Lord forbids, seek reconciliation. The case, here comes a lawsuit. Um, and scholars debate whether it's an injustice here, maybe the person, the defendant, the child of God is um, guilty. And look what it says here. He wants to take you to court. He wants your shirt. A shirt, a day is a long or half-sleeved garment that extended to the ankles. It's the inner garment. The coat was the outer robe, a wrap around a person. And that, that coat is mentioned here by our Lord in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law. The coat was a person, an inalienable possession. That is, it couldn't be taken away from him. Inalienable possession not to be taken from him says in exodus chapter 22 verse 26 but what jesus is saying here teaching here uh they want your your shirt i tell you what you do give them your coat also do more than what the law required that takes grace Some commentators say that the defendant would be nude. Jesus' words are hyperbolic, therefore. So it couldn't mean literally that because Jesus certainly wouldn't approve of public nudity, the argument goes. However, many ancient people, including Jews, had more than one change of clothes. They had outfits for different occasions, such as we do. Clothing for mourning and Jewish festivals. But what Jesus is saying for the kingdom citizen is this. Our attitude is to be a willingness to surrender the coat. The thing we have the right to then cause hard feelings or offense with an adversary. Wow. That's different, isn't it? Who thinks like that? kingdom citizens people who belong to the Lord kingdom of heaven this is how we are to respond verse 41 whoever forces you to go one mile go with him too uh, that uh, saying really is the foundation of our Proverbial saying, going the extra mile. 
what is our Lord talking about here? This is the deal. Uh, Roman soldiers would make subjugated sediment a mile, actually a thousand paces, less than the mile that we know at 5,280 feet. It's 4,000 4, some odd feet. Thousand paces is what it was. The disciple of Jesus could be compelled to go the first mile. And what they would do when they, the, the military guy came along, scripted a person, said, come here, I'm impressing you to take this, and you're going with my, what could they do? Okay, I'm doing it. And as soon as I covered the 1,000 paces of a mile, as it says here, they, I'm done. But what does Jesus say do? Go with him too. Go the second mile. You can be compelled to go the first mile, but Jesus says you should go the second one out of humble service. You're not to retaliate. You need to understand something. This word hit like a thunderbolt in a nation that was under the tyranny of Rome. They hated Rome, the Jews did. And here's Jesus saying, what? Go an extra mile for these guys? I hate them. In fact, this was a powerful example of non-retaliatory action. In Israel, there were known um, those who resisted the Roman rule, and they were known as Sicarii. S-I-C-A-R-I-I. They became stealthy urban terrorists who would assassinate Roman officials in a crowd, then they would slip away unnoticed. People like that. Many were calling for the blood of the Roman oppressors. <laughs> Kill them. The Sicarii, they were doing it. Jesus, however, commanded his disciples to serve those oppressors lovingly and patiently. You say, I sure enough have to pray. That's what Jesus teaches here. Let me ask something here. Jesus did not support, but rejected activity designed to overthrow the government or kill government officials by his followers. Mark that down. These people who call themselves Christians lining up with people who want to overthrow the government of this country or any country, they're wrong. Amen. It's wrong. We're not to be involved in insurrections. Don't please, and this really ought to bug every Christian, please don't be one of those people to sign up like I've seen, Jesus, I trust you while you're trying to overthrow the government. The very thing Jesus says don't do. Some people need to get in the word. They spent more time in the word rather than some of those, uh, listen to these people that they listen to, they'd be a lot better off. Jesus doesn't sanction that. Let me tell you something. I said earlier, Romans 13, the government's ordained by God. You know who put the Roman government in place? God. Thank you. Whatever the government is, you may, may or may not like them or the people in them. That's not your business. Your job is to do what God commands you to do, right? Amen. 
Sadly, some Christians have forgotten that. Jesus says, no, you humbly and lovingly serve them. Don't try to kill them. Don't defame the name of Jesus with that sort of thing. Non-retaliatory action is what we're called to do. And it's expressed by humble, loving service to those who are even an oppressor. Verse 42. Importunity, perhaps we could say. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Jesus is teaching his followers, as we've been talking about here, not to resist an evil person. But this text says, give to the one who asks of you. He wants to borrow from you. Um, How does this text on giving fit in the category of non-retaliatory behavior? We want to know, how does it relate? I think this is how it relates. The person is an enemy. A believer is not to retaliate against his enemy when his enemy is in need. Hmm. The text was read by a brother this morning. I want to read a portion of it again. So we get it in our minds afresh. In connection with what we just read. Romans 12. 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You see... Our job is to let God get vengeance on those who do evil and have done us wrong, right? This is a matter of trust. You have to trust God. You have to trust that he's going to do what he says. He says, I have the right to take the revenge, not you. And that's good because you know what people do when they get their revenge. They, we were discussing, they go too far. You want to obey the Lord. This is a text from the Old Testament when it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's from the book of Deuteronomy. God says, I'll do it. But what do we do? Here's the consequence. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Our job is to meet the need of our enemy. Though we don't retaliate against them by withholding the basics of life from them. They need it. You've got it. Give it to them. And when you do, you're not overcome by evil. You overcome evil with good. That's the Christian stance, right? Don't retaliate. It's how you handle evil. Personal evil. Now, I think there's one more thing I need to address here. Because uh, it could be misinterpreted to mean that Jesus just says, oh, just give to anybody who comes along. Joe Blow comes along, give me 50. 
you don't know what Joe Blow is going to do this. Now, let me, let me give you something here. Say, listen to this. Neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament required Jesus' followers to financially support the slothful, lazy, or those who waste their resources irresponsibly. The slothful, the lazy, they waste the resources irresponsibly. Yeah, I'm not giving you my money. But if you have a real need, I'll help you. But not so you can waste it on something. And you're lazy. No. Not support folk like that. Don't give the people like that. And in the church in particular. Second Thessalonians. The church. How we're to relate to our fellow believers. Here's the text. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10. <laughs> for even when we were with you we used to give you this order if anyone is not willing to work then he is not to eat either person doesn't want to work I said fine you're going to be hungry that's your problem now this is a person who's not willing to work it's not that a person doesn't have work there's no work available do make that distinction this is a person who has chosen not to work. There were some people in Thessalonica who were waiting on the second coming. Said, I'm just going to wait till Jesus comes, so I ain't doing nothing. The word of God says, don't support him. Commandments like this that we've just uh, read makes it highly unlikely that Jesus was commanding an indiscriminate charitable giving to those who had no need and wished to live at the expense of other people. He wasn't. But an enemy has need. Meet your need. You see, you're to love your enemy. Isn't that right? <laughs> Can you all say amen to that? I know. Yeah, I know. I know it's starving. That's what it means to follow Christ. Let me tell you something. Everything that Jesus te- taught he embodied fully. He did it. He loved his enemies. He died for them. Oh, he did? Yes, because you once were his enemy. Amen. He died for you. He gave up his life for you. Yeah, you were his enemy. Christ died for us. While we were what? Yet. Yes, rebelling against him, hating him, but he died for us. He endured the wrath of God for us. When he was on the cross, he was being crucified. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So whatever Jesus commands us to do, do understand he did it himself in a far greater degree. And by his spirit who lives within us, we can do what he commands us to do. And I'm going to tell you this. Whenever we follow and obey Christ in anything he says, he sees his approvals there. And he will bless and reward our life as we live out his life here on earth. Amen. An eye for an eye. Now you can tell people what it really means. 
doesn't mean personal revenge. It's not the way Christians live. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. It cuts across uh, ingrained ideas and thoughts and reflexes as we continue to grow in grace. Help us to uh, humble ourselves under your word and by your gracious action in our hearts and ministry of the Holy Spirit and his his application of it to us. Live these things out. We might uh, be a demonstration of the, the life of Christ through us and wherever we are with ever with whom we interact with. Personal conflicts. May we be seen acting like Christ, not like the world. May the reality of our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven be manifest before a watching world. Because it sees us differently, acting differently. Grant us the grace to internalize these truths more deeply, have deep convictions about them, and do them regardless of how it may make us feel. May our desire to be to please you, obey you in everything. And we know you'll help us do it. And we ask in the name of Christ our Lord, for his glory in his church, through his people, amen.